hey Josh, look what someone just posted on your wall. It's a meme. It says, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the Republican platform is, look at how terrible America is. Vote for four y more years of this. That's not as bad as what I'm seeing on yours that says, how to fix America. We gotta put Jesus back in all the places we asked him to leave, right? Home, school, government, church, and your heart, you sinner. Oh man. <laughs> Hansel here with you guys, and this is my co-host Josh. With so much happening right now with Christians and government, everybody has an opinion about something. We want to take you guys into that conversation today and show you the two different perspectives and how people arrive at those two different perspectives. So usually with the conversation of Christians and government or Christians and politics, we have this pair or this dichotomy, if you will. You have the law of the land, which is the government law, and you have the law of God. And the question is, how do those interact? Right. So Josh, usually people have three basic fundamental blocks that they have to work with, and it's these. One, according to Romans 13, if the law of the land coincides with the moral law or the law of God, then you should obey both. Mm -hmm. You should do your best to live in peace and to respect your authorities, okay? Number two, when the law of the land is blatantly opposing the law of God or the moral law, then you prioritize the law of God. And we see examples of these with the apostles in the book of Acts, for example. The government is telling the apostles basically, hey, stop spreading this Christian propaganda. It's not good for the government. And they said, no, we need to submit to God rather than submit to man. But here's, here's where things get tricky. When the law of the land maybe opposes the law of God, how do we know? Wisdom and discernment then are necessary for charity and love and for Christian growth, for love of God and love of neighbor. And so what we're gonna do today is examine three specific cases that we have in our modern day context and how Christians, first of all, disagree on their perspective, right. but how they get there. So take us through the first one. Yeah, so as we jump under the hood, we're talking about these three things that we know people get mad at, right? And we know that good conversations are difficult to have with each other. And, and the first one that we're talking about is illegal immigration specifically. Uh, and the reason we want to touch on this is because it's important to remember that there's a clear violation of some law happening here, but we have to determine is the violation of that law worse than, equal to, or better than, right, the violation of the law of God or whatever that is. And so when we talk about the mission of the church on earth, some people talk about like the idea here is earth is obviously not just America, right? And so as people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we ask ourselves the question, who is my neighbor, right? Who is the person that I'm called to love? And from an image of God perspective, the idea is love of neighbor clearly extends beyond borders. And we see all types of different examples of this that occur between God and his conversation specifically with Israel about how they're supposed to treat the foreigner, people who are not from their nation. And so the heavenly citizenship has implications over how we fulfill our responsibilities on earth. And this especially becomes true when you look at the stats that kind of bore this out, right? In the United States, roughly one in 10 evangelicals uh, as uh, in 2007 uh, were evangelicals who were immigrants themselves or their children were immigrants. And by 2014, that number had risen as high as 16%. So clearly, right, we're several years later. So that number's probably higher now. So the reality becomes we're looking at an issue or a conversation where it's like one in five immigrants is our brother. Yeah. who clearly claims the same, even not just like they're Anglican or they're Catholic or they're Baptist or like pretend Christian or whatever. Like these are people that are within the biggest strand of Christianity in America and evangelicalism. And so it's like, 
out of that one out of five, certainly out of that 20%-ish, some of those people are not going to be illegal residents. So yeah. what do we do with that, right? Like, yeah. isn't our purpose yeah. to love them even though, you know, they're not necessarily supposed to be uh, part of the discussion here? Yeah, yeah, that is super interesting. I didn't know that stat before today. Like, think about that. One in five people. Yeah, it's uh, huge. That, that is uh, generally an evangelical um, is likely uh, an I- illegal immigrant. Well, to be an immigrant, right, or a, or a child of an immigrant. So, gotcha. and, and out of that population, that. yeah, some yeah. of those people I mean, that's will very huge. I mean, th- so think about that, right? So, if you have a hundred people in your church, that's twenty people probably mm-hmm. who have some affiliation. If you have two hundred people in your church, that's 40, 40 persons. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the the way I think about this, and I think that the way the perspectives are going to change on this issue or the, the, the disagreement lies is how you view your duty to your neighbor, which mm-hmm. is what you said, right? Mm-hmm. So I've, I've heard it said that duty to your neighbor or responsibility can be seen as concentric circles. So Josh, you have a wife and you have a daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm willing to guess you probably feel more of a duty to them mm-hmm. than you would to me, for example. Sure, naturally. Okay. So in the tightest core of that concentric circle is your nuclear family, mm-hmm. your main responsibility. Right, right. Then probably people outside of that might be your immediate family. And if we kept going out, you might have uh, your friends or church members. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see that the way you prioritize or label the layers in that concentric circle, on whatever side you lie of this um, issue or perspective, those are going to be somewhat ordered or prioritized a little different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because on the other hand right the other perspective is well we can given that love of neighbor and love of god is supremely important it's the sum of all the law right Right. yeah given that in the real world you need order you need borders to be able to steward the resources that god gave us to actually take care of the people we have here so i've also heard it said well hold on are you then suggesting that love of God suggests or means that to love one people group means I cannot love others if we cannot provide sufficient resources for Americans. Right, um, right. Whether that be, I don't know, veterans or people who need jobs or housing or all sorts of like mm-hmm. complex economic and social issues. Are we then suggesting, this perspective would, would ask, that to love a specific group means I have to not love another group. Right. And what's interesting about that is you still have a concentric circle of responsibility. You just ordered it differently Mm -hmm. because that person might say, well, my primary duty then would be to my American citizen who is my neighbor Mm -hmm. and to my church member and my family, et cetera. And somewhere out there is also a duty to uh, the alien or the foreigner who's coming in, but not as close. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think? What do you think are some of the, the, the dividing lines here of how people choose to order these. Is it arbitrary or how do, how do we get there? I think there's always going to be some cultural inculcation that happens here in some type of discussion, particularly around rhetoric, right? And in, in the church's response, we have a propensity to take one of two lines of discussion. And one of them kind of centers around like heavenly citizenship being in the world, not of the world, yeah. to not making some type of prioritization yeah. based on somebody who either looks like me, right? Like there's a uh, specific directive to act against tribalism, meaning like I 
am more likely to resonate with somebody who's white than I am with somebody who's brown yeah. skin. But like you, because of like I look like them, they look like me. I understand. You know, there's some understood inherent similarity there. And the call of the believer is actually to rise above that mm. nature or idea and yeah. realize that as people who are all created in the image of God, the thing that binds us together is what Christ did for us on the cross. Mm. And if that becomes your directive there, if that's kind of like your main marching orders, as it were, uh, then that probably influences you more to lean towards the idea of uh, maybe being lax on illegal immigration or, or figuring out ways to just help people and not just simply kind of saying like, well, you're here illegally, see you later, bud, you know, yeah. or, or whatever that might, you right. know, however that might present yeah, yeah. itself. Yeah, no, that, that's really good. That's really good because part of the narrative of the gospel, particularly in the New Testament, is how the other, mm-hmm. whatever other means, mm-hmm. right? Not mm-hmm. just ethnicity, but someone who's not in your tribe, Always. quote unquote, that's the person who's actually your neighbor and who sits at the table. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's really good. I, I really appreciate the way you worded that. Now, again, from the other perspective, mm-hmm. right? And it was funny, I was just reading from an Old Testament scholar, and that's, that's kind of my guild where I, I spend most of, of my time and, and study is in the Old Testament. And a lot of posts that I've seen that are more pro-immigration are going to quote from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, this yeah. is how you're supposed to treat the, sure. your neighbor. This is how you're supposed to treat the foreigner. Well, I was reading this, this article the other day um, of a scholar uh, who was actually kind of digging into some of, of the Hebrew and the literature in the Old Testament about this. And there's a, there's a distinction that he points out between someone who's more like a traveler right. who's passing yeah, by. Itinerant, right? Yeah, and somebody who's actually trying to integrate mm-hmm. into society. And he was pointing out how this distinction is actually significant um, in terms of being a prescription or an indicative yeah. for, oh, well, yeah, that, that just corresponds one-to-one to any society. And it's not that neat. Like, there's still borders mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. There's still rules for society. And I, I think it's in Jeremiah when they're in exile. It says, hey, like, you need to pray for the welfare of where you're yeah. at. Yeah, it's Jeremiah 29. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so that's kind of interesting, there, yeah. right? How there's this directive to really take responsibility. Um, and so as we move on to the second case, I think what, what we have here is, one, no matter what side you land on this, you're prioritizing in some way concentric circles of moral duty to a neighbor. Yeah, I mean... Nobody's there, neutral on that. No, you can't be. You, you can't be. There, there has to be. I mean, even when you read through different parts of like Nehemiah, right? right. Like when people are married to foreigners, yeah. they're still expected to kick their foreigner wives out or whatever yeah. it is. And so it's like there is some discussion or at least tension within the Hebrew scriptures yeah. about like duty to the nation to right. which you belong right. there. And so right. uh, it's messy, right? It it's it messy really to is. say the least. It really is. It really is. So as we transition, yeah, we're looking at, uh, the second thing that we're going to discuss is the idea of shutting down churches, right? Oh boy. Yeah. So this is going to make everybody upset. So uh, I'm hyped. So your religious rights, right? Like what are they? And does the government get to infringe? Uh, particularly in America here, we have this thing called the First Amendment, uh, which prohibits churches from being like infringed upon, you know, the, the freedom of assembly, uh, the freedom of worship and things like that. But this is kind of a different wild card, right? Because a public health concern yeah. is a different ball game than just the tyrannical government coming and saying like, no, you're right. not allowed to go to and church. And we're specifically referencing yeah, and so the, that's the what COVID-19 we're talking about here, pandemic. coronavirus and its impact on the United Churches. States, uh, both here and abroad, right, yeah. has clearly been nothing short of massive. Right. Right? And, and, and it came from like left field. We've never had something like this before. Right. And, yeah. and so when we, when we begin to discuss that, the idea that says 
for us, right, when we look at the value of staying closed down, right, not meeting in person, but still being able to meet together online or in other, you know, smaller, less than 10 groups, right, yeah. depending on where you are in the country, public health concerns are actually part of the mission of the church. And so this is one of the things I've seen from kind of the pro, like, let's just follow what the government's asking us to do and not cause trouble, is the idea here is that one of the ways that we can love God and love our neighbor is by setting a good example. And when we do things that protect mm. the most vulnerable against us, right, and especially when the book of James talks about taking care of widows, yeah. right? Widows and orphans there. And so widows that we know like tend to be older, right? Usually unless something kind of rare happens and older elderly people are more susceptible to this idea. Like we are in direct obedience with tenants of scripture there, but also talking about setting a good example for people who uh, might look for reasons to criticize the church yeah. by us not meeting in person, we are only not we're not only taking away that ammunition, but we are actually saying, hey, look how much we care about the community mm. and our words match our actions, which then you know allows us to be able to fund this kind of project or help with this school right. thing or you know do whatever right. there that that we can save on. So uh, when we concern ourselves with what our rights are. Uh, that's one kind of conversation, but it seems like the question that we should be asking with the church is what are the inevitable problems that will arise and how we can, how can we deal with them in a manner that mitigates risk and allows us to be able to be a part of the better shaping of public conversation, public policy discourse and all of that. No, I, I think, so that's right. From, from that perspective, you have, and, and this, this passage came to mind actually as you were speaking, in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, Paul has this long discourse with the Corinthian church. And they're asking like, well, hey, like, don't we have the rights to eat meat, mm -hmm. sacrifice to idols, mm -hmm. which was like a particular situation where um, th they were basically saying, hey, don't we have some equivalent First Amendment to do this? Mm -hmm. And Paul's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not the only question you should be asking. Right. Because if that's the only question you're asking, you might be missing a point. Yeah. And so, so from this perspective, that's exactly right. From that perspective, you're saying, hey, if, if you're only exclusively concerned with your rights, you're missing the point of the grander mission of the church, mm -hmm. which is to care. You mentioned like vulnerable, vulnerable uh, people of society um, and a witness, a yeah, testimony for sure. for to sure. society. So th that, that's, that makes a ton of sense. Now, so what's the counter here? So he, from the other perspective, right? Um, it's not only the rights of, of the church that I see as a concern, but I've read a lot, and even like anecdotally, a lot of people that I know in my circles are sharing this, how me, there's something different about meeting in person mm -hmm. that you can't replicate. On Zoom. On Zoom. <laughs> yeah. There's something different yeah, about for sure. counseling, uh, fellowship, just the simple physical touch of greeting, you know, your brothers and sisters. And so one of the things that I've been hearing, and, and this is kind of interesting to me, is how mental health and as it connects to spiritual health right. and sure. overall flourishing of people is being so incredibly uh, drained mm -hmm. by this whole pandemic mm -hmm. as a whole, right? But now with specific reference to in-person meetings of churches, one of the things I'm hearing as an argument for the necessity and the essential nature of the church is people need this for right. their overall flourishing yeah, health. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, so there's, here's the trade-off, right? Um, it was kind of like, like the economics. There's, there's only so much time that you can keep the economy shut down before you're doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. Well, people are saying, well, keeping churches shut down is gonna do more harm 
than good to a lot of people. Yeah, sure. So how do you measure that, sure. right? And, and so from that perspective, people are saying, hey, like, no, this is essential for a lot of people. Now, it's really interesting, actually, in our current context, um, Grace Community Church mm -hmm. in Simi Valley, led by uh, Pastor John MacArthur, they're actually in a um, kind of litigation. Yeah, legal and dispute. A legal dispute. Yeah, to put with, it nicely. With <laughs> Uh, with the government yeah. right now over this issue. And so from their perspective, they, they claimed, to my understanding, two specific things. One is that due to the double standards or inconsistency of the government in what they deem essential and what they don't right. deem essential, that uh, the credibility is no longer um, warrant, there's no longer warrant obedience yeah. or submission yeah, from yeah, the for church. Sure. So because the government has lost credibility, we no longer have to submit to them. That's the first thing I heard. The second thing is, um, well, it's an overreach of the government to impose those regulations on us. And so because it's an overreach, that also warrants our lack of submission to it. Um, so that's really interesting because they're actually meeting in person and they're gonna like fight the government over it. And so the question would then become, is that, is that lawful? Is this a case where you should fight the government over? Like, how would you determine that? What do you think? Yeah, so this is where, this is where I spent some time looking for ways that we kind of moved out of an us versus them dichotomy with yeah. the government and moved into uh, kind of a conversation where we could be like meta government or trans government, like just above the, the fray in its entirety. And I came across this example that I thought was really interesting uh, that I wrote down here that talked about uh, what was called the challenge of peace. Uh, and so this was a, a document that came out in 1983 that was a U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops uh, pastoral letter on nuclear weapons, hmm. right? Wow. And so a bunch of them like gathered together. The Cold War and stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah, during the Cold War with Reagan and the USSR, like there was this uh, real discussion about the nuclear deterrent, right, of like the, the arms race and trying to amass more than the other guys so that right. way we could be ready to... I don't know, kind of assure a mutually assured destruction between right. us and the USSR. And so they came together and they wrote this out. Uh, and this was a thing, I mean, it, it reaffirmed traditional Catholic teachings of a strong presumption against war while allowing, you know, it when necessary and effectual for preserving a just peace, the idea of a just war theory mm -hmm. that preserved the fundamental human rights and dignity. And what I thought was interesting, though, is when they put this together and they submitted it uh, for the government to take a look at, it wasn't a conversation that was necessarily like, we are going to do this, like meet in person for our example, because it's the right thing for us to do in terms of like we have the right to do it. It was like, here's some Christian values and perspectives that we hold really dear, right? Here are some things that we think are really important. The right to life, the right to flourishing, not being nuclearly, nuclearly annihilated, right? right? Like these are good things yeah. for all of humanity. And the government listened to it, right? Like they interacted with it. The New York Times actually gave it like a, a full spread in wow. their paper. And right, I don't know if that's anything that would happen today. But the idea here was like the, the church, instead of taking an oppositional defiance mm -hmm. stance against the government, sought a way to be influential, right? right and winsome, as it were, yeah. in the discussion of like, how can we actually make a difference that goes beyond the scope of like, can we come together Sunday morning for an hour or not, right? And not to downplay the importance of that there, but to say like, there's probably more at stake in the conversation mm -hmm. here in terms of us being able to partner with where we're at. And yeah. so that was kind of my hope that we would see somebody kind of do, uh, and there just hasn't really been much of that, right? right? Like there has been kind of this ensconced position of us versus them yeah. all the way through. And yeah. so uh, a little bit unfortunate and a little bit frustrating, but I think kind of unavoidable in today's circumstances where everything is kind of you know, climatized in that way. Yeah, yeah. 
No, that's, that's, that's right. That's really interesting too. And so ultimately what I see in this example of closing down churches, the, the, the heavy lifting of wisdom and charity would be at what point is giving up my rights too costly? Mm-hmm. At what point is giving up my rights actually for the better good? Mm-hmm. Or at what point, no, you actually have to stand up for yourself. Right. Right. That, that, that's hard. That's messy. Yeah. And, and for good reason. Well, right? And do we need to stand up for ourselves as Christians? Mm-hmm. Like, is there even merit in asking that question? When we see the first examples of Jesus, the apostles, the first century Christians before yeah. Christianity married into Roman imperial rule, like there wasn't a lot of defense of like, I got to stand up for X, Y, Z. It's just like, hey, look, man, I'm just going to kind of keep worshiping Jesus yeah. in a way that doesn't necessarily have to conflict with the government there. So yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's good. Um, so the third example that we have is rioting. Mm-hmm. So man, I mean, since the killing of George Floyd, there has been not only a national, but also global yeah. kind of movement, awareness, and manifestations, protests, uh, in, to the end of calling attention to uh, racial injustice, police brutality, and things like um, justice be, being, being carried out. Sure. Um, now, a lot of these manifestations have had uh, examples or have also had riots yeah. along with them. Mm-hmm. And so with something like property destruction, um, looting, mm-hmm. things like that, the question becomes then, in the grand scheme of things, is, is this lawful? Right. The question becomes, hey, where we clearly have established laws of not destroying people's property or not th- like theft, is how do we understand rioting from a Christian perspective with reference to the social situation sure. of racial injustice? Yeah, so the first thing that we do is we ask the, we make the distinction between uh, something being lawful and something being ethical, right? And so in the position that would kind of validate or maybe just accept, not necessarily validate, but be understanding of or charitable towards uh, rioting, the idea is there's this valid manifestation between uh, protests as peaceful uh, kind of displays against injustice and rioting as violent manifestations of anger against injustice, right? Yeah. And so uh, the distinction here highlights the depth of the disease. And really, this is what we're talking about. When uh, the line of thinking here is that if you care more about property than the fact that you do, you know, people being killed or poor policing habits, whatever the, you know, kind of discussion is, then your priorities are misaligned, right? Because, uh, yes, nobody likes property damage. Nobody's like, hooray, pro mom and pop shop being burned to the ground or whatever. Yeah. Uh, people are pro like, hooray, city hall being burned to the ground, like targeted acts of violence and demonstration against right. governmental that property. That seems to be a separate like, issue though. Yeah, all right, I mean, whatever, <laughs> that's cool. But it's like when you, you know, burn down somebody's mom and pop shop exactly. or whatever, right? That's like, a you different story in its entirety. real harm to somebody's yeah. finances. Who probably agrees with your cause, right? Or who probably is sympathetic to it. And so the question becomes, right, if you are so stuck in that part where you can't see the bigger issue at play, right? You're losing the forest for the trees, as it were. And so when you get so stuck on the idea that you can only see the discussion of like, man, you can't be burning down people's property, as opposed to like, hey, another unarmed person was just shot and murdered by the police, or or whatever the idea is. The concept here is it's being hypocritical, right? That it's, until that discussion can see that 
bodies are more valuable than property, right? In the American case, particularly like black bodies and black people are more valuable than whatever shop, you know, the idea becomes of destruction of property is both moot and hypocritical. Uh, and so, you know, we, we kind of see this in the language of uh, Malcolm X, early Malcolm X, right? Like by any means necessary, like when he was younger there, or even, you know, Martin Luther King, who himself, not a advocate for property damage, still was, uh, one to make the distinction of saying rioting is the language of the unheard, right? And so these people- Didn't he condemn rioting though? Uh, yeah, yeah, so he would have said that rioting itself is not a good thing, right? That's why he was nonviolent in his protest there. But yeah. the idea that it still exists is something that we have to be aware of, of the larger picture of saying, until we deal with the issues at hand, yeah. these types of things are not going to stop mm. there because there's anger and there's nowhere else to channel it sometimes yeah. there, so. Yeah, definitely. So one thing that I, kind of heard as you were speaking is almost this, this dichotomy, right, of, well, what's more important? Is it property or is it people? Mm -hmm. No, this is what's really interesting to me. And most of my circles are pretty conservative. So I'm, a lot, you know, on my feed, on my posts, a lot of the people I talk to are saying, on the one hand, listen, we understand that there is racism out there and we don't want racism. We just don't think that two wrongs make a right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting to me is, so is, is there some validity to that in terms of do we have to say are they being hypocritical or um, no, that kind of makes sense. Sure. So, so from this perspective, right, from that perspective, uh, there's a fundamental difference not only in the forest and the trees but in the nature of the acts yeah, for sure. of peaceful protesting or civil disobedience, if that may be the case, as an American right, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and the destruction of property as unlawful and therefore evil or sinful behavior. Sure. I remember having this one conversation uh, with a friend, and the way that he, he broke this down as we were saying, as we were talking and discussing this, is um, if, if we are willing to grant or to concede even something like this is just the symptom. We should be concerned with the disease. Yeah. Um, he said, well, if, you, if, if that's the perspective you want to take, then you have to grant at some level that it's sometimes okay yeah. or that it's sometimes not evil right. or that it's sometimes righteous anger. Right. And right. he's saying, if you do that, well, how are you logically consistent then? So that's interesting because what seems to be the concern then from this perspective is uh, the consistency or like the logical clarity of saying, no, 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 if something is bad, it's bad all the time, no matter the circumstance. Mm -hmm. So it's never okay to burn down a car, somebody else's car, Yeah. right? So that's interesting because you, you could make a case for those two things from a biblical standpoint, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, and another thing I really see too is people, you know, posting memes or saying, well, MLK uh, condemned riots. And so these people are taking MLK's name and they're distorting his message by going out there and rioting. And man, you know what, what's really crazy is everybody's like an expert in MLK now. Sure. <laughs> and interpreting him and understanding him. And so it, it just kind of hits home how tragic it is that, um, you know, we don't have uh, him to speak for himself sure. at this point, right? Sure. Uh, but those are the two perspectives mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. And so as we kind of head to some conclusions here, uh, what I really find to be at the fundamental logical level of these conversation is what's more valuable? Is it the Christian way of doing things in reference to the government or is it getting Christian things done? Yeah. 
Yeah. So on that one hand, right, if, if getting society to look more Christian is preferred, then using the government as kind of a blunt object, right, to implement whatever Christian values are yeah. for you, uh, then we have to commit to electing those officials to make that a thing, right? We have to get people to overturn Roe v. Wade or defund Planned Parenthood or bring prayer back to schools, et cetera. Right. But if it's the other way, then it's a different conversation entirely. Correct, correct. So like you said, if on the one hand, just getting Christian things done, if looking society to look more Christian is the end goal with reference to government, well, then you can bite the bullet mm-hmm. and uh, vote for somebody who isn't a Christian mm-hmm. or vote for somebody that maybe you don't agree with on certain things because he's going to get Christian things done, sure. right? On the other hand, however, though, if the end goal or the reference, the orientation of the church's relationship to government isn't just to get Christian things done, but to live in a Christian way, then you have a difference. And, and this is what I find fascinating. There's a theologian by the name of Cornelius Van Til, right? Super intense name. I want you guys to look him up. Um, Dutch theologian in the 20th century. He wrote in the 1900s. And he came from this perspective. He said, listen, the end goal isn't just to make society Christian. It's for the new society of God, which is the church, to live in such a way and to model Christianity in such a way where it's winsome, where we're less concerned with Um, wielding the club of government to get things done than showing why Christianity is preferred over other views and how actually everybody flourishes if if society, if if the church wanted the benefit Mm. of all. Now, granted, that gets real tricky, right? Because at some point you have to stand up and say like, no, uh, we, we shouldn't approve of some things. Right. Um, But part of this messiness is where we need some, a little deeper thinking about it with grace, with charity, with love of neighbor. But these are people who really love Jesus, but really disagree on these things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now, what do you guys think? Whichever view you think is preferable probably says a lot about your political philosophy. So we want to challenge you. Dig deeper into that. Really own your convictions. Shoot us some questions down below and let us know what you think. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.